the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, we want to get you started right. We weren't able to give you that full mailbag treatment on the weekend, but we have it absolutely busting at the seams. The big old bag of mail has been fantastic. We love some of the hypotheticals. We love some of the questions, the either-ors uh, that you all want answered because... We like discussing them. So if you want to uh, get a question in a future mailbag episode, reminder, the way to do it is go and leave a five-star review. In that review, put your mailbag question. We will tackle it on a future mailbag episode. Uh, among some of the questions that we're going to get to today include some a continuation of Tom Fernelli's uh, Euro Nation competitors to college football programs. But if you are watching this uh, and if you are getting that uh if you're getting that full experience on YouTube right now, or if you're getting that full experience through the CBS Sports app or on cbsports.com, Tom, congratulations. Forza Azzurri, Italy, with its first European title since 68? I don't know. Yeah, Something 68. like that. He's Tom looks fantastic. Go look at youtube.com slash covered three. Uh, how, how are we enjoying uh, the immediate wake of Italy's win? Uh. Well, we enjoyed it a lot last night, and we're still feeling the results of that enjoyment as we record this morning. So hey, there, there can be happy hangovers too. Okay, any college football fan that's been to a stadium for a big win knows that when you wake up on Sunday morning, yes, there's going to be some lingering impacts and effects. But I mean, they came with good memories. Yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. I mean, like. Italy won a World Cup in 2006. So it's not like, you know, it's like we're with England. They're talking, they haven't won anything since like 1960 or whatever that World Cup that England won. And it's like been a long time and a long drought. Italy wins a lot. So, you know, we're used to it. But like when, when Italy won the World Cup in 2006, I was still like a soccer fan in that the only soccer I watched was the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So like every four years, I would root for America. I would root for Italy. America would lose early. And then I would just root for Italy. And then, all right, that was fun. I'll see you again in four years. So this is the first time that Italy's won something where I know enough about the sport to where I literally tweeted the change Italy should make at halftime, and that's the change Mancini made, and it's the change that kind of tilted the game. So I know the sport enough now to really appreciate it. So, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And also, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, I, I understand how our listeners understand sometimes when they, they're convinced that, like, you know, the media is against their team. Because I have definitely been harboring meatballish kind of 
hot takey feelings about the way because like in America, our coverage of this sport is very heavily funneled through the English media because you know they speak the same language as we do. Oh, we've got sure. some if we, we've of got soccer, some ties like to English them. English consumption of soccer is very much through the English based uh, media exactly. Outlets. And there was a lot of uh. There's a lot of focus on England, a lot of bravado, a lot of dismissiveness of Italy. Like I, I know I talked to you about this and I've included it in the newsletter. I won't say the outlet, but I read after Italy's win over Belgium in the quarters, like, you know, they had to leave in late in the match. They were doing like the, you know, they were wasting a lot of time. They were faking injuries. They were kicking the ball around. They were taking forever. The goalie was just sitting there, you know, like picking daisies before putting the ball back in play. And it's something that like teams do in all levels of the sport in every single country. And there was a 2300 word column about Italy wasting time and the whole debate about whether it's part of the game or it's shameful, blah, blah, blah. But essentially it's because it was Italy's doing it. And there's always been kind of a theme like Italy does it where everybody does it, but Italy gets kind of a lot more crap for it because they're better at it. Mm -hmm. And then 1,700 words into this 2,300 column, the writer admits, now everybody does this. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, well, then why are you writing a 2,300-word column on it? And I, you know, so, and there's just been a whole lot of that from England where there's there's a lot of condescension for a country. And again, some friends are going to take this the wrong way. There's a lot of condescension from a country that thinks it's, better at the sport than everybody else yet when it plays everybody else it doesn't win while well, everybody else tends to win a lot so maybe you're not quite as good at the sport as you think you are maybe the way you think it should be played isn't the best way it should be played so to beat England after hearing a lot from the last week couple weeks little 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 extra spice in there for me a little extra appreciation and England was Michigan, right? Just just so that I can bring this back to the original uh, the original question, because that 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 might apply the the kind of like being condescending, you know, that kind of falls in line uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, with the whole ethos over there. Um, and I think I, I compared Italy to Notre Dame, right? I think so. So that's good news for Notre Dame fans. If Italy can win the Euros, maybe you can do more than just get to the playoff. There we go. Uh, this let's, let's go ahead and start here uh, with Davidson Dan. Huge fan, catch almost every episode. As a fan of only three sports, soccer, football, and basketball, I've watched every Euro game and loved the conversation correlating countries to programs. I think you guys totally missed one, though, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Croatia is Auburn, undoubtedly. Croatia is capable of rising to the greatest heights with some of the best players in the game and being a factor on the main scene. Also, completely likely to crash hard into the median and completely fool their fans and the media. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think it's a terrible comp. I, I think that it's a little too recent, but at the same time, I guess you could say Auburn's more recent than anything because like this Croatia team that you saw in this tournament and then that got to the, you know, the final of the world cup the last time around that's probably the best croatia team you've seen in a long time and it's the best croatia team you're probably going to see for a long time so i guess if you want to say luka modric is cam newton that yeah now that that kind of takes on the same kind of comp 
So, yeah, I'll buy it. I don't think it's as perfect as you think it is, but I think it's a good comp. All right. Here's uh, here, here's the big project one. This is a, a very, very creative question from Trent. Uh, I think we're going to have some fun with it. Love the pod. I've had one mailbag question on the show regarding Sam Pittman hire and love that you guys gave him some love over the short tenure. My favorite college football podcast, without a doubt. I have what I think to be an interesting mailbag question. In an alternate reality, what NFL teams do you think would be the powerhouses of the AFC and the NFC if they limited the teams to drafting rookies and signing free agents that were alumni of the colleges within a certain radius of that city? Say, for example, 300 miles within the city. So the Falcons could only sign slash draft players from schools within a 300 mile radius. You could change the parameters of the radius if you want to make it larger or smaller, but I think it's a complicated, yes, and interesting, yes, question, especially with the teams that have overlapping areas. Thanks and looking forward to the upcoming season. Woo Pig Trent. Well, I mean, I don't think it's all that different from what we would talk about if we were doing this for, you know, college perspective, if you're only able to recruit players from your area. I think that, A, Miami would be a lot better. Yes, and the Patriots would not be the Patriots. No. I also think that both Tampa and Jacksonville would be better. I think Miami would be the best team in Florida, but I still think that there's enough talent all throughout that state that you have to think the Bucks and the Jags particularly would be better than they are now. I know the Bucks are defending champs, so it's hard to say they're better than they are now, but they are defending champs thanks to a Michigan quarterback. Uh, so I, I was thinking, all right, the – my starting point was to look at, uh, and this is one draft year off, but the I've, I've looked since 2000. I've looked since 2010. The data set I used was since 2010. It was run right before this NFL draft. Most mm-hmm. NFL draft picks since 2010. The list, again, you could run this a lot of different ways. It it's normally spits out the same answers, but it is Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Florida, Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, Miami, Florida State, USC. Again, those being the top 10 most uh, NFL draft picks since 2010. And I, I used that to, to dig in. So like you mentioned, with Florida, Florida State, and Miami all being in the top 10, you got to throw Miami, Jacksonville, and Tampa like right mm-hmm. up there. I, yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder if the whole NFC South doesn't end up being just sort of like a powerhouse because the Atlanta Falcons are going to be able to tap into some of that. Probably less the Panthers – uh, but the New Orleans Saints, if you're be able to get LSU, if you're able to go up and, and get into Alabama, that is going to be really interesting. What I mm-hmm. had trouble with, and I, I'm very curious to spin this back at you, is where who gets all the Ohio State? Like, is that just like a Cleveland-Chicago battle? No, that's a Cleveland-Cincinnati battle. Like, so Chicago can't get up in... Uh, I think... I, I, I think there's a lot of talent that comes from the Chicagoland area, but... I think Ohio is far and away a more fertile football ground than like suburban Chicago and Northern Illinois and this rest of the state is. So I think the Bengals, both the Bengals and the Browns would benefit more from this than the bears would. Okay. Although I guess you could also argue that being in a large market with a large population probably helps the bears because at least then they've got a larger sample of guys to choose from possibly, and they could maybe develop them. I don't know, but, I, I still think Cleveland and Cincinnati would benefit from it more than Chicago would. So do you, even again, I, I had that list, um, you know, Oklahoma Packers would suck. That's cool. <laughs> so does, is Dallas great? 
I think Dallas is still pretty good. I think Houston's probably pretty good too. I think I, it's it's going to be the same as like you know it's Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, California. All those teams. But will still is be it California? Good. I think so. Okay. I, I mean, didn't. I I did not think that the way that this is set up. Oh man, this is going to be great. Okay. I think I, I, West Coast NFL teams need these Southern boys on their roster so they can go out there and win these playoff games. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's I I get I think that they would for like it, the defensive line and the offense defensive line especially. I think they could be impacted there. But I, I, honest to God, man, I feel like the way that the sport is going, I don't know how much longer that's really going to be the case. I think that this is going to be about being quicker and. Have, you know, so I, I don't know if it's going to be about size as much. So uh, I think the West Coast would be pretty fine because they got a lot of skill players. They've got all the quarterbacks for the most part. It's like oh, when you look at recruiting okay. rankings. But that's not like the, the question was about the colleges that they went at, not necessarily where they're from. And as long as Alabama and Clemson are going into California and just scooping up the best quarterbacks. Uh, see, I'm, I'm approaching it from like the angle that they are only, no matter where the players go to college, they are only allowed to take players from like the rate. I'm sorry. So I was approaching this differently. No, you were approaching it like the recruiting, like we were yeah, doing like, the, like it's literally a college system in the NFL. Right. The, I think the question was specifically saying who went to schools within that yeah, no. geographic well, then, area. Then yeah, the West coast teams are probably in a little bit more trouble than under that plan. Cause even, cause under that plan, I was even like struggling, like, all right, like you're right. Dallas is there, but Texas and Texas A&M, you know, they've, they've got some players in the NFL, but it hasn't been producing at the clip that, uh, that a, you know, the, a Clemson, a Georgia, uh, some of these other teams. USC, of course, being in the top 10. So my AFC powers were Miami, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. I'll add Cincinnati on there. I had Cleveland. My NFC powers, uh, Tampa, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas. Yeah, I, I still don't think Chicago would be a huge power, but. Ohio State's not within 300 miles of Chicago, is it? Or how many miles are we getting? I didn't pull out a calculator or the map it's, quest it's, on this. It's more than 300 miles. Okay. I know that. But if I can get, if Google Maps ever wants to finish loading, shit, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> this is this is great podcasting, by the way. <laughs> All right, directions from Columbus to Chicago are. Dun, 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 dun. Why is my internet so slow? It's 356 miles. So close. 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 Too far, though. I'll, I'll give it that. Too far on that one. Uh, you mentioned next five years, spinning it forward the way the game is going to go. Uh, let's get this question in here from Nelson. Hey, hope you all like this question. For the next five years, pick one of the two following programs from each conference you would, quote, invest in. In parentheses, Nelson says, healthier program, more wins, overall success. Okay, Nelson. In the ACC, Miami. Oh, wait, do you want to uh, list them all or do you want to take them one by one? Let's go one by one. All right. In the ACC, Nelson says, are you going to invest next five years, Miami or UNC? Miami. Why? I think that right now I would take UNC over the next two years, but there's a few things. If it's, if it's a five-year period, first of all, Miami has a much longer track record of football success 
that North Carolina does. You know, they've won national titles. They've had like dynasties, dominant teams filled with great players. North Carolina hasn't had that. And also, you have to consider how old Mac Brown is. Mm-hmm. And that plays a role for a five year window. Yeah. And also, like, I'm not exactly 100% sure who's behind him, but Sam Howell's there for one more year. Sam Howell's there for 2021, and then he's off to the NFL. Do you have that kind of quarterback behind him? Are you going to be able to keep getting that kind of quarterback that could be like a blue chip elite? I think, I know Miami obviously hasn't had when they got Derek King to transfer from Houston, but I think that Miami's got a longer track record of that with surrounding talent. So I, I, I would take Miami in a five-year window. I'm glad you mentioned the quarterbacks because I think it's a push. Jake Garcia, the backup behind Derek King, I think is very, very good. Jake Garcia, also from California, getting up out mm-hmm. of California and going to Miami. Um, the quarterback behind Sam Howell is very, very good. He's a guy named Drake May, and he's one of these players that I love to flag early in the process. 24-7 Sports composite rating says this guy's four-star, number 55, pretty solid. 24-7 Sports, five-star, Number three quarterback in the class. Number 23 player overall in the class. Uh, 24-7's high on him. You know, like higher than the the rest of the industry. So there is another quarterback uh, behind Sam Howell that I do think is going to be able to continue uh, leading an offense put in place. Who behind Mac Brown, though, I think is where you have to wonder whether the change that he's creating is going to be long-lasting and pass on to the next head coach. Um, I will choose to invest in, in North Carolina just to get on the other side of this, but I will, I, I don't think that you're wrong for saying Miami's got that, at least like the built-in track record. And it, you wonder if everything that Mac's doing right now, if it can be sustained even after he leaves. Is, is Drake May related to the North Carolina Mays? <laughs> so he is, he's not related to Luke May, but he's related to another former Carolina athlete, May. There's like a couple different May families within North Carolina athletics. I believe, and I don't have this pulled up right now, but I believe Drake May is the uh, son of Deems May. Okay. But let's see. So he's not related to Luke, though. He is not related. Cousins? No, his dad, Mark. That's not even Deems. Oh, my. I told you. There's a. All right. So his dad played UNC football from 83 to 88. His brother Luke. Oh, it is Luke Mays. Yeah, it's Luke His Mays' brother. brother. Is Luke May? so yeah, he is from the North Carolina Mays. Yeah, he is from the North Carolina Mays. And his brother Cole won a baseball title at Florida. Goodness gracious! So they're an athletic family. They are an athletic family. It's uh, it's them and the uh, the McCaffreys and Ed's oh, picking up the phone. Now. He's got, <laughs> oh, he's got a thick neck. Yeah. He's going to be, he's not, you're, no, he's 6'5, 210 with a thick neck. So you see that frame. Oh, he's good. He could be big. Um, so not, uh, not related to Deems May, but is related to Luke May. All right. Uh, next question. Oh, no, we got to keep going. Big 10, Penn State or Wisconsin? This one's trickier than I think it looks on the surface because I think that. Penn State is obviously the higher ceiling program because Penn State can win a national title. I don't know if Wisconsin can, unless it's recruiting really, really picks up and it's going in that direction as of late. So maybe so five years from now, 
But at the same time, I mean, <laughs> I feel like we've been trying to make it happen for a couple of years on this show. Like James Franklin could be gone in five years. Right. James Franklin could be at USC. He could be at a larger job somewhere. And I know Penn State fans are like, well, it's larger than Penn State. Well, somewhere that's not in the shadow of Ohio State right now. So I think from that aspect, if we're looking at an expanded playoff to take place in 23, so we'd get a couple seasons of that in this five-year window. I think that Wisconsin has a clearer path to that playoff than Penn State because Penn State would have to beat Ohio State during the regular season. And if it doesn't, it's not playing for the Big Ten championship and everybody, it never gets that chance to redeem itself. Whereas like if Wisconsin goes 11-1 and in the regular season and is ranked in the top eight come the conference championship weekend and then it loses to a top three, top four Ohio State team, that's not going to knock Wisconsin out of the playoff picture. Whereas I don't think Penn State would have a great chance to get back into the playoff picture after if it loses to Ohio State during the regular season. So I think because of that and because I think that Paul Christ would definitely still be there in five years, I'm going to take Wisconsin. I've got a bad idea principle that I already started cooking on the moment that Danny was on this podcast talking about how much he hated the idea of conference championship losers being able to make it into the college football playoff. The idea that, you know, that should be the postseason, And if you lose your season's done. We're in agreement on that. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm going to be betting on conference championship losers that make the college football playoff. <laughs> they're going to come in and on everybody's. Spread, yeah. 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 Always, yeah. always on the spread. Cause they're probably going to be underdogs. They're probably going to be, in like the 10, 11, 12, and everyone's going to be down on them because of recency bias, and they're going to be mad. And I'm going to take those mad conference championship game losers against the spread uh, as, a, as a principle moving forward. All right, so, so that's, that's go to go back to what you're saying about Danny, though, that's why I feel like even if they had a 16 playoff in which it was conference champions only and like the, the highest rated group of five conference champion, it's technically six teams in the playoff, but it's also really more of a 12-team playoff because the conference championship games then turned into de facto playoff games for all of those teams. Because if you win that game, you know, if you're a Power 5 school, you're definitely in. If you're one of the G5 schools and you win, you're fighting for that chance to get in. So technically, that's a lot more teams that have a chance to get in. And then it's still only a quote-unquote six-team playoff. So um, a, a lot of times our analysis is going to be filtered through our own biased lenses of what we've got our ears and eyes on. But um, we will hear from more players starting later this week with big 12 media days, and they will be able to say what they think. Cause that is one thing during all the playoff debates, you know, not a lot of airtime was like, Hey, so what do the players like? What do the players think? North Carolina's football players met with the media last week. Tom, they like your idea. They favored six teams or eight teams. They don't like the 12-team playoff. They were like, no, I, let's, I, I like the six-team idea and the idea that winning the ACC championship is all I need to be focused on, and if we win the championship, then we go to the playoff. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy for fans who would just want to be entertained to ever consider that like conference championships, no matter what any specific college football writer tweets about on Saturday saying college conference championships don't matter just because they're trying to argue for the playoff. For some reason, it actually means something to the coaches and players. It's crazy, I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, because they said healthier program, uh, I'm going to go Wisconsin. 
just because while it doesn't have the same ceiling as Penn State, I do think it's got higher floor because of just sort yeah. of built in Paul Christ and, you know, the formula is there. And I do think that like they are kind of bumping up against the ceiling, but not in the bad way. Like mm. I feel like they're kind of, <laughs> oh God, they're kind of quote unquote raising the roof. <laughs> Jump around. Jump around. All right. So we've got uh, Tom's taking Miami. I'll take US, UNC. Tom's take. We're both taking Wisconsin. Let's venture onto the Big 12. Again, all these from Nelson. They are either ors. Invest for the next five years. Uh, in the Big 12, he offers TCU or Oklahoma State. See, this one's really tough. Because, like, there's such similar situations in that. Obviously, Oklahoma State is the the second, you know, the second biggest dog on the block in that state of Oklahoma, the Sooners are, the, you know, the, the more popular, more powerhouse program. And then when you're TCU, obviously in the big 12, you still get, there are other Texas schools, but Texas is still the big one that you're butting up against as far as getting past that. Then you look at the coaching situation and they've got coaches who've been there forever, who, although there have been flirtations and dalliances with other jobs at times, I could easily see both Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson still being there at five years. So it's, I go, I lean TCU slightly just because I think that in the Dallas Fort Worth area, they have more of a name and that will help them with recruiting and getting Texas recruits and maybe getting some guys that the Longhorns miss out on. Although again, there's tons of competition for Texas, but if you're a Dallas kid, I mean, it's, I don't know, like, it's hard to say what's in the minds of a 17, 18 year old kid these days for me, but like, I feel like TCU might be a little bit more of an allure than Oklahoma state just from like be, where the school's located. So I don't know. I, I, I lean TCU, but it is slight. I think that they're, they're both incredibly similar. So RIP, but T Boone's dead. All right. That's got to be a factor in this. We gotta, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's a fact. That's, that's gotta be a factor in this. You're, you're hundred percent right that, you know, for the next five years, it is fair to assume that both Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy are going to be in those positions. However, if they aren't, I give Oklahoma state the better chance. Like I think TCU post Gary Patterson falls to a spot that Oklahoma State post Mike Gundy, the the drop won't be as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's some of it's like big public university, small private university. You know, the the fact that Oklahoma State, thanks to the example and the generous giving of the Pickens family, has been able to continue to pour in all of these resources. Like, you know, was it Amon G. Carter Stadium might might be like a we call it like unique home field advantage. And boy, we do get some windy Saturday afternoons out there. But I I do I do think that in general, my my guess on my either or is that I'm going to go Oklahoma State on this one. That if there is a coaching change, that Oklahoma State is a little bit more better positioned to be able to to not have that impact the overall performance of the football program. I think those are all salient, coherent points. And another like another thing to wonder about too with TCU, like you think about the journey that program's already been on to get where it is, like you know from the whack. Yeah. Mountain West to the Big 12. And then for a while there being one of the premier, you know, when the Big 12 first kind of formed in the playoff era, TCU was one of the 
best teams in the conference. And you kind of wonder if maybe that program has peaked already. And maybe if there's still a little room left for Oklahoma State to grow. Although, again, I think they both have very similar ceilings. Yeah, losing to Oklahoma. Yeah. For and the next Texas, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the next five years, together. Yeah, exactly. All right, so um, now we got so we're we got TCU and Oklahoma State, Pac-12, Washington or UCLA. See, this one's easy to me. Washington. This is Washington. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I saw. I think it was Adam Rittenberg at ESPN wrote a column, or it was like a podcast where he was talking about like there there was a debate about who had a higher ceiling, Washington or Oregon, mm-hmm. and Apparently, like people got like people were amazed that people thought Washington had a higher ceiling. I personally think that as long as Phil Knight and Nike are behind Oregon, it's always going to have a higher ceiling than Washington. But I understand why some people think Washington could just because of the like. If you look at recruiting rankings, there's there's good players in the state of Washington and in the Seattle area every single year. You find them, but when it comes to comparing it to UCLA, like. I don't even think it's close. Like UCLA has USC in its own town. Like it is not even the the largest football brand in its own city. Mm -hmm. Washington is the state school. Washington has national title history, not in the, not like not in the recent history, but not super far distant history. And also they were in the playoff a few years ago. And I also think that, you know, they're both in big cities, but I feel like Washington has more, of that actual college feel than you typically would get at UCLA, which just feels like a, you know, like you're in Los Angeles, which for some people would probably be a huge selling point. I'm not one of them. Man, there's so much elevation change around Seattle. It feels like you're in a whole different city when you get into certain little neighborhoods. Yeah. It feels like you're in a different country at times. Yeah. It's nuts. I was exhausted. Yeah. You know, it's like, like you're looking around, you look around at like some of like the scenery, like, and you're just like, there's no way this is the U S <laughs> Well, it almost isn't. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the very, very edge. But yeah, it'd be like sitting there like, hey, look, I was planning my trip. Like, we're only like four blocks away from this. And then you see that it's just directly uphill. Gotta love the Pacific Northwest. Uh, all right. And then finally, uh, SEC, either or from Nelson. Next five years, who are you investing in? Florida or Texas A&M? Florida. I mean, Florida's won national titles in the very recent history. Texas A&M is doing wonderful under Jimbo, but it has not reached the point that Florida's proven it can reach multiple times under different coaches, mind you. So different tenures. So it's not just like one guy got there and transformed it, and then they've never been the same since. So Florida, and then also the fact that like for the next five years, Texas A&M still has to go up against Alabama. And I don't know if Alabama five years from now, maybe Saban's retired by then, but it's still, you have to still think the Saban sheen would still be on the program in five years. If at that point, and I don't, it's going to be much more difficult for Texas A&M to get through that than it is for Florida to get through Georgia right now. We haven't even seen Florida really amass the kind of roster where we even like look at Florida as a national championship contender and mm-hmm. they've still delivered at a very, very high level in terms of making the New Year's Six Bowl under Dan Mullen year after year after year. Like, we're, we, we weren't even excited about Kyle Trask, you know? We were just like, oh, gosh, you got to deal with Felipe Franks, you know, and then all of a sudden things really take off. And the rest of those wide receivers and skill position players, I mean, they 
they've had a couple years of turnover, and that's why there's not really a belief that they're going to drop off. I and, I, I want to put my dollars with Florida. I agree. Yeah, and I think that, like, from a coaching perspective, I know Jimbo's won a national title, but in this modern era, like, like you said, Florida talent-wise really wasn't comparable to a lot of the other national title contenders last year, but Florida's one of those teams that can put a scare into Alabama and into those other teams because of the way that, you know, because of its offense, because of the way it schemes things, because of the way it gets players open and it's routinely able to do that. And it puts together explosive plays. That is just not something Texas A&M has shown us enough of. And Dan Mullen has done it everywhere. He's been usually with players of a lower caliber than the top team. So if they start getting that kind of caliber of player in there too, Florida becomes really dangerous. Okay. Follow-up question on the Texas A&M piece of this because I'm trying to do some self-audit here. Is the excitement around Texas A&M at least in part driven by the fact that Jimbo Fisher with a national championship with a big old whopping oil money contract is just kind of a star in college football in general? No. I mean, I think there's definitely I, – I think Jimbo definitely gives you a little more uh... – because for, for a team with no certified starting quarterback, much less a quarterback who is considered like one of the best in college football yeah. and an offense that is yet to be explosive, they're just there's a lot of like, oh, in Texas A&M. But you got uh, there's recency bias in play there, too, though, because of how good Texas A&M was last year and how there was, you know, in some places an actual debate about who the number four team should have been. So that kind of goes into the season. But yeah. Like there are a lot of questions about the Aggies this year. And also the schedule broke their way a little bit last year. So there's a chance that this Aggies team could regress to more of a nine and three kind of team that we're used to seeing. But at the same time, you can't ignore the recruiting results that they have had. Like Mm. the talent level of that roster has improved significantly in recent years. Like they had talented rosters when Kevin Sumlin was running, but they hadn't put together recruiting classes like the ones we're seeing now. And I think that because of that, they are legitimate. And when you look around, like, no, there's no great returning starting quarterback, but we've seen, you know, these five stars come in as freshmen and they play well right from the start. And they're good enough if they're surrounded by enough talent and they're getting the right kind of coaching around them to really transform teams quickly. So we can't rule them out. Coming up on the other side, it's everyone's favorite game anytime that conference realignment gets brought up some people call it promotion relegation you know we've we've played different versions of this game and so uh we've got a question where we're going to be sending one team from every power five conference out of here we're calling up one g5 p5 g5 swaps and more next this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This question comes from, I kid you not, Kirby wants to eat. Best CFB pod out there. Really enjoy listening to y'all, except when Tom plays old man yells at the cloud roll about college football playoff expansion. With group of five becoming more and more relevant, I love doing the thought experiment of P5 replacements. In this question, you get to drop one school from each Power Five conference and promote a group of five school in its place. It doesn't have to be purely based on record like relegation would be. For example, Vandy may be the worst, RIP Barton, but I never thought Missouri made sense being in the East. I'd drop them and pick up Memphis. Adding them would generate a ton of interest to recruiting battles and games against Ole Miss and Tennessee. Curious to see what teams would be dropped slash make the cut for you guys. Where do we want to start? Um, let's start in the SEC. We, we did the SEC last last time, so let's go ahead and uh, and start there. I, I don't hate the Memphis idea. I wouldn't see. Let me, let's first start with who are we taking out of the SEC? I, I mean, my decision to take out of the SEC was very, very simple, and it is very unfortunate because I'm saying Texas A&M, you're out of here. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm not basing it based on performance or you know relegation. You can go, you, they can go find their way back to the Big Twelve or figure something else out. You can go dominate. Uh, you can go dominate Conference USA, but I'm throwing out Texas A and M. It's not much right. of a fit. I think Texas A and M is a great fit for the SEC. Honestly, I think that their fans are insane, and I think that's really the only fit you need. <laughs> you know who I'm replacing oh. them with? Who? Speaking of insane, like this is this is the kind of thing that will never happen because of the local politics, but because I get all of this power from username Kirby wants to eat, I get to force it through. And I just want to hear the reaction from the other people on the other end of this podcast. UAB, welcome to the SEC. See, that's where I was kind of leaning to, but I felt like then we got three Alabama schools. That's a little too much. So I was like, you know what? LSU's got it a little too easy. LSU doesn't have a whole lot of competition in there and they just get like, you know, Barton's told us, you know, every high school in Louisiana, this is purple, purple and gold and tigers, gold, purple and gold tigers. They need, they need a little spice, a little cage and spice. Louisiana. I would put, I would put Louisiana in the sec and I would let Texas A&M stay. And Oh man, cover your ears. Barton. I would take Vandy out. Not not for performance, but for the fact that it's a smaller private school. And I'm just trying to get a bunch of big, dumb public schools in so I can get my big, dumb football going. Get my big, dumb money. That's what yeah. I want. I want all the big, dumb TV sets watching my big, dumb football. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Vandy. You are out of here. All right, Pac-12. Pac-12, I, I'm throwing Boise in. All right. Sick. I think that just I, I feel like that might be too easy, but it just it makes way too much sense. I think Boise already kind of recruits that area. And then I'm taking out 
I don't, I don't, I don't I'd probably take out Stanford for much the same reason. For much, you're just Stanford. going after all of the, uh, all the small private schools. All right. So the expansion candidate that Boise's one that for performance reasons, but this one's, uh, this, this one's a little bit more along the lines of conference realignment. Welcome to the PAC 12 UNLV. I want to get into Las Vegas. And if we want to like go double expansion and add Nevada, that's cool too. Later Arizona schools, y'all can hit the streets. I think that for right now, if it's just a one in one out, I love the buffs, but I think I'm throwing Colorado out again. It's, it's been very easy for me to take the recent arrivals and conferences for this exercise and throw them out. But I think UNLV is a really fun addition to the conference and you could take uh, Colorado or Utah. Either one of those, I think are the ones I'd feel comfortable dropping. You know, I, I do think that if, you know, then there's a the new man in charge. I do think that if the PAC 12 does consider adding new teams, I do think UNLV would very much be a viable candidate for, or somebody that they would definitely be interested in. Yes. And especially, I mean, the NFL team, like Vegas is mm-hmm. hot, hot, hot right now from a sports perspective. So I, I totally understand that. All right. So we've got the SEC. We've got the PAC 12. Uh, let's take it on to the big 12. All right, so I can't throw Kansas out because I still I, st- I need Kansas basketball still. Okay, I'm I love you. I think your fan base is great. Your producers are shaky, but West Virginia, Coca, hit hit the country roads. Take take your ass home out of the Big Twelve. <laughs> All right, <laughs> nothing personal. Just let's be real. You, you 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 never really made a ton of sense for the Big Twelve to begin with. Yeah, it was just a money grab. You're there. Nobody blames you. To replace them, I am of two minds. I don't think Big Twelve wants another Texas school, but I kind of want to give it Houston, mm-hmm. just because I think that that's another large brand, large city, large program with the kind of money. Although it would also be fun to put SMU in there just for the rivalry with TCU. But again, I'm very much on a let's add big dumb public school kick here. So Houston. What's the, it's like the, the skittle, or the, or the skillet, the golden frying the pan, skillet. the iron skillet yeah. is the TCU mm-hmm. SMU rivalry. Okay. Yeah. So this was, I feel like this has always been floated around and you're right. I, I actually don't want to go into Texas uh, with the big 12. I, I want to break into uh you know, where the ACC and where the SEC make all their money, okay? I'm, I'm trying to get on the other side of the Gulf. I'm trying to uh, take my talents to Orlando. So for the Big 12, I'm expanding to the East and I'm bringing in UCF. I think Who are you that, kicking out? Sorry, Texas Tech. You got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right, see, because... Orlando, could... Lubbock. Orlando, Lubbock. Like, I mean, I'm talking yeah. about recruiting, talking about, like, what I'm selling in terms of uh, being a, a visiting road game if any fans want to go. I know that you've got all those ties, but Texas is kind of taken care of. Sorry, Texas Tech. Go uh, go run things in the American Athletic Conference. See, I, I, I would have considered UCF, but, like, I can't sit here and kick West Virginia out for being in West Virginia and then be like, come on in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, big 10. Oh, first of all, come on home, Cincinnati. Yeah. Welcome to the big 10. You are another problem for Ohio state to deal with. And then kicking out. 
it's one of two schools and among these two schools, I will say this one feels the least big 10. So I'm sorry, Maryland. I've enjoyed having you around for basketball. Was Rutgers the other one? Yeah, but I feel like honestly, Rutgers feels pretty big 10. Yeah, it does, especially with Shiano in charge. And it's like, so I'm more confident in where that program is heading. Like basketball's gotten good. It's not as good as Maryland, but right. it's, it's gotten better since joining the conference. And I feel like the football program is getting better. And I do think that New Jersey is, you know, at least it's, you know, on the Pennsylvania border like that a lot. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's still more, it, New Jersey feels more big 10 to me than Maryland. Than DC. Yeah. Yeah. DC yeah. feels more ACC to me. Um, I thought I, I thought for sure you were going to throw out Northwestern just to continue your your attack on all of these private schools. Uh, I have to live in this city, Chip. The answer is Cincinnati, without a doubt. And I thought about Cincinnati on the Big 12 side, too, where you're adding in uh, somebody to the north to really start to, you know, put some pressure on uh, on Oklahoma and see see what happens in some of those battles. But uh, but my decision for removal from the Big Ten uh, is also no, I'm Nebraska. I was going to go Rutgers, but I'm going to throw, I'm going to say Nebraska, not, not doing it for me in the big 10. I would like Nebraska more as like a BCS buster right now. Like if they were running stuff and going 12 and 0 in what the mountain West, I guess would be mm-hmm. the, the conference that makes the most sense for them. I think yeah. it would be a more fun story than being a team that can't make a bowl game under Scott Frost in the big 10. I wonder how many Nebraska fans, if given the option to go right back to the Big 12 right now, would take it. Because I'm interested in knowing, like, do they blame moving to the Big 10 for the program struggles? Or is it things that they think it wouldn't, like, do they think they'd still be struggling if they were still in the Big 12 right now, too? Has any program that, have any of the programs that made one of these moves feel like they've really upgraded? I think Rutgers has. Yeah. I don't know how Maryland feels. I mean, Utah feels like it upgraded. Yeah. They played Colorado upgrade. I don't think so. I don't think so. TCU feels like it upgraded. Yeah. Cause they won a share of the big 12 championship, one true champion and have got to appear in another big 12 championship game. So they've been in it. I think Texas A&M probably feels like it upgraded. Syracuse used to run it in, in the uh, the Big East, and they are now like perpetual cellar dwellers. And much love to Dino and the Dino drop, but that's I tough. Wonder how, I don't know how Mizzou fans feel. I don't know. I, I wonder if Mizzou fans deep down might wish they were still in the Big 12 or if they were in the Big 10 instead. I don't so, know. So I think most will say SEC, but... Right now, I think they say SEC just because there's so much excitement around uh, Drinkwitz and just sort of like the positive momentum yeah. that he's got, the early returns. People are just a, a little bit little bit hyped. Like you would never say that we're not happy with the way things are going because you feel like Missouri. Oh, and Missouri's been a couple SEC championship games, like right off the bat with Gary Pinkle. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that they definitely are, are feel like they have, uh, they've upgraded in a pretty good way. All right. And now uh, I guess that leaves us with the ACC. So this is where I'm sending UCF. Uh, I know I know there's already Florida State and Miami, but I'm adding another big Florida school to the conference, trying to help 
raise the floor of the the programs in that conference. And God, again, I'm sorry, but Wake Forest, it's nothing personal. <laughs> I'm just replacing a tiny private school with a giant public school that has a lot of recent football success. And by football success, I don't mean going seven and five. I mean, they went 12 and 0. They've been competing for conference titles. I just think that that, like if you add them and you put them in the mix in the ACC, they're not Notre Dame, obviously, but like Notre Dame last year really raised the profile of the conference. I think UCF helps by giving you another program that's a legitimate threat. Am I allowed to add Notre Dame? <laughs> no, they're not G5. Oh, yeah. They're not technically G5. I'm going to say uh, later to... I'm going to say later to Syracuse, and I'm going to welcome in... I mean, in case you thought that the bias in Greensboro wasn't bad enough. Just wait till we add a fifth North Carolina school with Appalachian State University. Come on <laughs> down. App State Mountaineers, uh, you welcome to the ACC. See, here I am thinking there are too many North Carolina schools in the conference, and here you are. <laughs> we need more. We need more. We need more. I want them all to be on 40 or 85. If you can't get to it, 421 will we'll we'll work, too. Is there any part of you that worries about the way that the ACC will be treated in the media once you kick Syracuse? Yes. Out of the conference. Very concerned. But like every every announcer is going to be biased against the ACC. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guarantee you that uh, that that we will we will find a way to be able to uh, to ride this. Uh, listen, those announcers are going to get to go to the Rock. You know, they're going to go to Boone and they're going to sit there in Kid Brewer Stadium and they're going to be like, "Wow, this is majestic football stadium carved into the side of the Appalachian Mountains. This is a fantastic place." And then they're going to go and they're like, "Is it even the Carrier Dome anymore? Is Carrier re-upped their sponsorship? What's going on with this bubble roof?" And then they're going to understand <laughs> that App State was the good decision. But is App State electric? <laughs> it can be. When the when the sun when the sun crests over the trees at the right angle, I remember that one. What was who were they playing there? Was it last year in 2019? There was like 50 mile per hour winds and like there were field goal attempts that were getting blown 20 yards wide. And it was against uh, it was their it was rivalry. Like a huge game. It, it was, was against like coastal, Georgia Southern. Wasn't it? Oh, was there it was, coastal? Yeah, I think it was like one of the big. My, I, can't, I can't. It was one of the big games of the year that like helped decide the, the sun conference. Belt. Yeah, and it was just. <laughs> pouring rain it was awesome um, on like a tuesday night cold and just 42 degrees driving sideways rain oh i love this sport uh it was georgia southern it was thursday night it was halloween final, yes that's what it was final score was 24 to 21 and it was app state's only loss of the season 2019 yes. They beat UNC, they beat Coastal, they beat Louisiana, they beat South Carolina, beat Louisiana again in the Conference USA Championship game, beat UAB in the bowl game, but in 42-degree weather and howling sideways winds, field goal attempts weren't going through, and they lost 24-21 to to rival Georgia Southern. And me getting pissed off at all the kids who kept ringing the doorbell for trick-or-treating and I'm trying to watch this ridiculously stupid football game. Yeah, I was, I was trying to remember. I wanted to pull it up because I feel like the uh, it, was, uh, it was a game that fans were at. 
because some mm-hmm. fans were out there, you know, doing what you got to do to keep warm in a 40 degree howling rain situation in Kid Brewer Stadium. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's save. Um, let's save the jobs. Well, just what would you do? Let's let's not assign everybody else. But if if you were to follow as a teaser for a future mailbag, if you were to follow in Barton's footsteps, what kind of job do you think you would take with a football program after leaving Cover Three? Uh, probably be data analysis of some kind. Like I think I would help Barton in that I'm not the guy who identify the talent because I don't really have that kind of scouting eye. But I think that by using numbers, I could help identify certain things for them. Well, uh, Michigan Man Mupp, have you read his? Uh, all right, so Mich- Michigan Man Mupp, who has been made an appearance in the mailbag before, his prediction for you, and I think when we do it with it, we'll, I'll bring this question back when we're four wide, but he's got predictions for all of us, and it is the exact opposite of your very smart uh, prediction. He said, Fernelli would be crushing bush lattes with Bielema at CAMS back at Champagne, working as strength and conditioning at U of I. Parentheses, <laughs> I'm a Southside rep here, Mount Carmel alum. I, like, I, I probably can't say this considering I'm legitimately hungover as we're recording this. I don't drink as much as I think Michigan man Mike seems to think I do. I'd probably just be sitting at a computer working. Data analysis. Yeah. That's so the the problem is is you've told so many stories about bar fights. And there's and the thing is is you might not even be particularly drunk to be involved in a bar fight. You just happen to might be at the bar where the also, fight I'm happens. No, I'm no longer in my twenties. <laughs> like, you know, I've I've mellowed out a bit as I've grown older and more mature. Um, or as, as one person in the mailbag called me the boomer of the show, which, all right, I'm not the oldest guy here, but sure. Uh, yeah, I, I got it very, very light. You said chip working as head of social media and branding at UNC. Okay. Yeah. I'm not great at social media, better at podcasting. Uh, I was going to say, you're, you're, you're much better at avoiding social media. Yeah. <laughs> I can give you credit for that. We, we would not have uh we would not have engagement numbers that, uh, that are great for our players. If chips in charge of all the branding at, uh, North Carolina, I need you to be in charge of my attention to social media. <laughs> we'll work on that. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a project, uh, here over the next several weeks. He is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson reminder. If you want to submit a question for a future mailbag episode, Go ahead and leave us five stars, leave a review, and in that review, put your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. Yeah, so we'll have to go if Cover 3 went Barton once we're four wide again, and we'll be able to see what everyone thinks they'd be doing uh, within a football program. Tom, thank you very much. Campione. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.